prayer. Holy Father, we pray now that you'd give me clarity of thought and purpose. We pray that the scriptures be made clear and plain. Help us, Lord, to give our hearts to you completely. May we seek out Christ with all of our strength and may we adhere to his word. May we consume it and eat it and may we make it every day a diet for our souls. So, Father, we pray, give us our inheritance in Christ. Enable us to embrace him that Christ be formed in us. Allow us to walk in this world by following his footsteps. We ask that those who are not under the dominion of the reign of Christ be brought to grace today. We ask that they would be convicted of sin and that Christ be lifted up before their eyes, that they might repent and believe. So, Father, we pray for the means of grace to have free reign. We also pray that your Holy Spirit have free reign among the hearts of your people. We pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I would like to make clear the doctrine I like to teach today, and it is this. The Christian's spiritual growth will greatly be increased if they are actively pursuing a greater love for Christ and his word. Now, I'll be looking at Revelation chapter 10, the entire chapter. But that is what I want you to take home today. You pursue Christ and you pursue his word and you will grow in grace. You will grow in grace. So in review, we've been going through the, the, the apocalypse. We've already seen the first vision of the church on earth where Christ walked among his churches and had John write specifically to the seven churches in Asia Minor. We saw the second vision where it was before the throne of God. And he who sat upon the throne had a, a scroll of seven seals. A large scroll. A scroll written on both sides. And only Christ was worthy to open that seal. And we are in the midst of the third vision among those that dwell upon the earth, experiencing the blasting and the blowing of the seven trumpets. And even right now in chapter 10, we are between trumpet number six and trumpet number seven. But today, we'll not hear any trumpets. We are going to look at chapter 10, which is an interlude between those trumpets, or shall we say, a pause to give you a new view of Christ. And so, I want this to be considered by you, that Christ in his word, both of these two things, and Christ is the incarnate word. You cannot know about Christ without the word. And so the word itself is how you get to know him. And you need to have Christ in your life. And so this is worthy of your consideration. You need to meditate upon these things. This is what you need to think about when you go to the scriptures. How can I know Christ? How can I understand him even more? And you must go to the Bible to get this information. Do not go to the world to ask them about God. Go to his word and he'll tell you about himself. You should have your life's goal adjusted if it's not like this. You need to say, what do I want to achieve in the days that God has given me? To know Christ. And you must take the word from his hand and eat it. And so this is the primary goal that I have for you today. So I'm going to go through the entire chapter of, of 10 
And I know that it is possible to go through this chapter and pick up 10, 15 subjects and have different sermons on each one of them. However, there's plenty of opportunity to do that in the other epistles. And so I want us to know what is in the apocalypse. And so we're going to go through these 11 verses, which is the entire chapter 10. And uh, let's go to them right now. Verse number 1, chapter 10. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud and with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun, and his legs like pillars of fire. Well, the first thing we see here is that the setting has completely changed. Now, if we recall the last time we were looking in chapter 9, we were looking at the blowing of the trumpet. We were looking at um, a mighty uh, command uh, coming from uh, out of the altar, the golden altar, where the incense is burned. And, he, and, and the voice said, release the four angels that are in the rivers Euphrates, and that these angels were evil spirits, and they commanded an army that attacked over the Euphrates, which we said was this, the boundary between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, and the leaders and teachers of this world were attacking God's people. But then all of a sudden in chapter 10, we have something that kind of paused right there. There's a pause. Uh, most of the commentators call this an interlude. Now, I, 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 guess that's a, I guess that's a good word to use. But, you know, if you go to a play and it's a real long presentation, they usually have an interlude where you get to go up and go to the bathroom or, you know, maybe refresh yourself and this and that. And then they go back and you see the rest of the play. This is not that kind of interlude. This is not like, let's just take a break. I'm going to show you something different just to entertain you. And then we'll go back to the trumpets. No, this particular inter interlude has a real purpose behind it. Because, you see... There are seven major visions for us to consider. And we are in the third. We're in the midst of the blowing of seven trumpets that we can see from the viewpoint of those that dwell upon the earth how Christ is coming and to manage his second return. However, between the last sixth and the last trumpet number seven, there is this vision of a mighty, mighty angel coming down from heaven, standing with one foot on the sea and one foot on the land with a little book in his hand. Now, this particular pause, in my opinion, is to prepare us for what's coming next. You see, there's going to be another interlude in chapter 11. And this particular interlude that we're going to get into in the future has a beast rising up out of the sea. It also has a beast rising up out of the earth, out of the land. And these creatures will be given authority to overcome the saints of God. How devastating would that be unless God prepared you with an interlude to let you know that there is a mighty angel coming down with both feet on land and sea, governing. You see, this is in prepared. This is preparing us. So let's take a look again at this first verse and see this mighty angel. A mighty angel coming down. And don't forget, we'd have to say, well, what does the word angel mean? It means messenger. Messenger. This particular messenger is wrapped in a cloud. 
rainbow over his head. His face is like the sun. His legs are like pillars of fire. So who is this mighty angel? Perhaps he's just an angel, as John said. But I would like to read once again from the very first vision, an image that we see of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what John looked and saw, the one walking among his seven churches. Let me remind you of this. Let me read this to you again from chapter 1. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man clothed with a long robe and a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, what, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And his mouth, out of his mouth came a two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he said, uh, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. And here we have in chapter 10, just an angel? Is this just an angel? After all, John says he's an angel, but remember, Christ is the messenger of God. He is the messenger of his Father. Christ has many titles. Can you recall them from Isaiah? Can you recall them from the New Testament? He's the prophet. What a title that is. But men are prophets, but our Christ is the prophet. He is the priest. We have men who are priests, but he is the high priest. We have king. There are many kings, but he is the only real king. He is the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And the writer of Hebrews says that he is the Apostle, the one sent with a specific purpose. And so I believe that this is a vision of Christ, a mighty angel coming down with one foot on the land and one foot on the sea. And in his right, is a little book, in his right hand is a little book, a mighty messenger of God with a very important message that we need to listen to. So let's once again take a look at the idea. He's coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud. Wrapped in a cloud. There is a cloud of witnesses or a host of heaven around the one who sits on the throne. There is a rainbow about his head. You know what a rainbow reminds me of? A covenant relationship. The one that when Noah was commanded to go into the ark and after the death of all the earth, he came out alive and there was a rainbow given. There is God coming to the earth with a rainbow. Remember the last rainbow we saw in the apocalypse is around the throne of God. And now this rainbow is over the head of this angel saying, I come with a presence that's built upon a covenant, built upon a promise. He's surrounded by the hosts of heaven with a covenant of being with his people and his face like the sun. In this world of darkness and lies and deception, only in the face of Christ can you see the light of truth. 
We must understand where truth comes from. It's from our Lord Jesus Christ. His face shines like the sun in its full strength. And his legs are like pillars of fire. When I think of pillars of fire, I think of the leading of the wilderness people. The ones that were out there. And how did they know when to move? Where did they go? Where did they know where to go? They followed the pillars of fire. The pillar of fire. And yet here we see Christ. His legs are like pillars of fire. And what do his legs do? Oh, they walk. Oh, they move. Where do we go? We follow the Lamb wherever He goes. And how do we follow Him? Well, we just watch where He walks. But I'll tell you how you find out where He goes. The pillars of fire is the light that shines from God's face. And we say, what is the right thing to do? What is the holy path? What is the righteousness that we need to be living by? That's the path that we have. The path of holiness. The path of righteousness. This mighty angel comes down and he plants a foot on the land and a foot on the sea. And he has in his right hand a little book. Let me read the next two verses to you. He had a little scroll open in his hand and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land and called out with a loud voice like a roaring lion, perhaps like the lion of the tribe of Judah. And when he called out, seven thunders thundered. Now, I usually tell a little joke to my kids once in a while, you know, dad jokes, you know. And I make a play on words. I usually say, hey, have you ever heard of Dujave? Well, you know, and I usually say, you know what deja vu is? Or, you know, Dujave? That's like, you've never seen this before. You know, but Dujave is a phrase that means, I, I think I have seen this before. So I want you to think of a second vision of standing around the throne of God. And what is this one sitting on the throne have in his hand? He has a scroll, doesn't he? What does this angel have? He has a little book. But the scroll in the one who sits on the throne is sealed up and closed. It's sealed with seven seals, but it's written on both sides. There is an imp there, it's implied that this is a very full book, a very big book with seven seals on it. Only one can open it. But here we have an angel standing with a, with a very small book. But you see the difference is that this book is open. This is an open book. Every time this book is referred to in this vision, it is called the open book. The open book. And I, and I was listening to a message by, by Dr. Beale, and he was describing the Greek. I don't know Greek, so I'm going to tell you what he said about it. He says that this was a, a word that's in the, I can't even remember what it is, uh, the minion type of uh, conjugation of this particular word. But it means a little book. But it's not just a little book, it's a little, little book. A very small book. Now there is the idea that I have that the book that the one who sat on the throne that was sealed up are the decrees of God that can only be performed by the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He has the authority to do it, and we see him working his secret divine will every day. We don't know what the secret will of God is because it's secret. But we see what we have been given. There are promises openly given to us, and it's in this little book. There is a little book compared to it. 
And it is the means of grace that he gives to us freely. And so we can see, if we compare these two visions, one with the other, there are many similarities, but there's many contrasts too. One is sitting on the throne, but the other is standing on land and sea. Standing, having things under his feet. And he has an open book, not a closed book, not a sealed book. And he has that to give to John. Now I'd like to read you two verses from chapter 17 of the Gospel of John. Now if you recall, chapter 17 is commonly referred to as the high priestly prayer of Christ. It is a prayer that he prayed the night before he was sacrificed for our sin. And as he's praying, he is saying this to the Father. Chapter 17, verses 17 and 18. Sanctify them in, in, in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so have I sent them into the world. And I tell you this. When we look at these two visions, we have the Father holding a sealed book that only Christ can open. And he comes and the Father gives him that sealed book and Christ opens it. And as the Father has sent the Son, so he comes to the earth with his book and he gives it to John. He sends us with the gospel. Jesus Christ performs all the unseen decrees of God. But then he sends us to preach the gospel. And as the Father has sent the Son to do all things, he sends us to preach the gospel. This mighty messenger of God, the word of God incarnate, coming with that little book to say, take and eat. Consider the words of Moses when he reestablished the covenant with the people in Deuteronomy 29, 29. He says this, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Do not fret over the secret things that you do not know. Christ has them well in hand. But what we have are the open promises of God in that open little book that he gives to us that we can eat, that we can live and know the truth. So there are hidden things and secret things. And even in this passage, we're going to learn that it speaks of a mystery, a mystery. There'll be thunderings that John is not even allowed to write down. So let's kind of put our mind in that phrase or in that condition where we say, wonder what this mystery is. Do you think you'll understand what the mysteries are? God said, don't write them down. Well, let's go to the next verse, verse number four. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up the seven thunders, uh, what the seven thunders have said, and do not write them down. Now, John I don't know about you, but the first thing I thought of was, well, wonder what they were. You know, and I know that if, if you're normal, okay, uh, I'm sure, I know you are, you're probably one, I wish I knew what they were. But I'm gonna, I want you to consider this. John was about to write them down. You know what that tells me? They were not hard to understand. He was about to write them down. They are not difficult 
deep doctrines. They're very simple things. He knew what they were, but he wasn't allowed to write them down. So we can only assume that these things are not written and they were not passed on to the seven churches in Asia Minor and they're not in the apocalypse that they'll be secret forever? Well, I don't know about that. The trumpets were sounded and we hear the trumpets. And what are they? The events that Christ brings about. Does that mean that the thunders are not thundering? They thundered, did they not? Their meanings were just not recorded in the apocalypse. But I would say this, there is a thundering that's going across the land that has a mystery in it that the world will say, well, I don't even know what that's all about. But there is a mystery that we understand. Because the idea of a mystery many times in the Bible is not like a puzzle or it's not like a Nancy Drew, you know, novel. It's not like it's some kind of, you know, um, thing that must be pondered upon to figure out what it says. Many times a mystery is something that's only not revealed, but then later on is revealed because the word mystery is many times used to describe the gospel itself. So let's go on. Keep that idea of mystery in your mind because when we read the next three verses, we will address that. The next three verses, verses 5 through 7, is one sentence. And so we take them all together. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and all that is in it, and the earth and all that is in it, and the sea and all that and, and what is in it, that there should be no more delay, but that in the days of the trumpet called to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servants the prophets. And so let's take a look at this. We say that this angel, some say that this angel could not be the Lord Jesus Christ because he is swearing by God. Well, I'd say that that's not an unusual thing. God has sworn by himself. We read this in the book of Hebrews. We read this concerning uh, the life of Abraham. God has sworn by himself. And why? So that the promises can be sure to us. God swear, swears by himself. So it's not unusual that this angel would swear by him who sat on the throne. We can see, even in the epistles and by the writer of the book of Hebrews, that God does do this. And so I believe that this mighty angel is the vision of Christ. What we have here also is the mystery of God. And many times people would say, well, I'm going to try to figure out this mystery. I don't think you have to figure it out. It, the scriptures actually tell us what this mystery is. This is not a mystery of a puzzle, just like I said before. But it is what is now considered, in my opinion, to be an open secret, mysterious only to those who have a natural bias against it and avoid it. Let me read to you some scriptures from the book of the Romans, in the epistle to the Romans. Now, maybe you don't understand this, but the book of Romans, if you really want a theology book, the book of Romans is the New Testament theology book. All the doctrines of Christ are in that epistle. Now, let me read from the last chapter these three verses from the epistle to the Romans. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel 
and the preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings, has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, if you didn't get that in Romans, let me read another passage from Colossians that says the very same thing. I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden from the ages, from generations, and now revealed to the saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is, and this is the mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory, which is the essence of the gospel. And so we see here that there is a mystery, and Christ is proclaiming. There is going to be no more delay. No more delay. The mystery of God. And then he has in his hand an open book. The gospel of Jesus Christ or is that is the means of grace given to us. For what reason? Well, there's going to be great things going up against the people of God. Beasts rising up from the sea, beasts rising up from the land. All types of armies with heads and tails that, that are leaders and teachers of false doctrines and so on. And what can we do? We look to the Christ who towers over the land. He is over all things, and these things are under his feet. Verse number 8. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me, saying, Now this is not the angel speaking, but the voice from heaven. Go take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the land and on the sea. Now, this book, I mean this particular voice, notice that he says, Go take the open book. The open book. This Bible is open for anyone who wants to read it. It's open for anyone. Now the voice says, go take that open book. We have to remember that when you receive the gospel, you do so from the very hand of the Son of God. Blessed art thou, son of Jonah. I mean, you know, uh, Peter. Because these things have not been opened to you or given to you by the power of the flesh, but by the Spirit of God himself. When you receive the word of God, it's from the hand of Christ. Only he can speak life into a dead soul. Christ has opened this book and made it available to everyone. What we have now is an understanding that this is in comparison to the sealed scroll, a very small book. But it is a book that contains all that we need. It is the sufficient means of grace to endure all that is going to come toward us in this war between good and evil, between God and Satan, between the world and the, and the and between the world and us, the flesh and holiness. These will be sufficient for us that we find in this book. Let's go to verse number nine. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, Take and eat it, 
It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. Now, I think that this command to take and eat it, it may be confusing to some, but I truly don't think it's confusing to you, do you? I don't. I don't think I need to spend a lot of time. Have you not heard about the manna in the wilderness? Have you not heard about the bread in the tabernacle and in the temple? Have you not heard about Christ feeding thousands as he preached? And do you not consider the fact that next week we take the Lord's table and we pass out bread and wine here? It is an image, it is a symbol of the word of God being consumed by the heart of man. It is easy. The interesting thing here is that it is both sweet and bitter, isn't it? How sweet is the gospel of Jesus Christ? That sinners like us should be made into the image of Christ, that we should be saved from our sins, that his own righteousness is imputed to us, that we have been declared justified, but now through the knowledge of Jesus Christ, we become partakers of holiness, we can live for his holiness, and now it's sweet as honey, sweet as honey, every time. And yet there is also this bitterness. We have loved ones that have not received it. There is a savor of life to life. There is a savor of life to those who believe. But there's also a savor of death to those that reject. We live daily in prayer to God to open the eyes of our loved ones. But there's also something else that we'll discuss in a few minutes concerning the bitterness of this gospel in one of our applications. Chapter 10, verse 10, reads this. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it, and it was sweet as honey in my mouth. And when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. The sweetness of the gospel of Jesus Christ is without comparison, but there is also going to be a bitterness to those who must accept in their lives that they will be living for the glory of God, and it will be filled with tribulation. It will be filled with tribulation. And verse number 11. And I was told you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and tongues. And so here we see this angel. We see Christ recommissioning John to preach the gospel. To eat the book and share it with everyone. That is what he's saying. It is very similar when I read this. It brought to my memory the time when uh, Saul was on his way to Damascus under order. He sought to have permission to, to take the Christians in, in Damascus and to arrest them. And on the way, Christ struck him down in the road, opened his eyes, gave him spiritual sight, but blinded him physically. And when he was taken to Damascus, there was a man that God said, go and help this man. He's one of my servants. His name was Ananias. So let me read this to you from this chapter in Acts chapter 9. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to our saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call upon thy name. But the Lord said to him, and listen, Go, for he is, chose, he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. For I will show him how much he much must suffer for the sake of my name. This is the same message given to John. And now I'm telling you, this is the message given to us. We will suffer 
for the sake of his name. It will be bitter, but there's nothing sweeter than the gospel. The things that we have to endure in this life can be compared to nothing to the glory that's going to be revealed in Christ in us. It'll be for the glory of God. So endure unto the end. We have this vision to prepare us. We can be ready for the beast that comes up out of the land. We can be ready for the beast that comes out of the sea. We can be ready for the leaders that say, you shall not follow Christ. We can be ready for those teachers that want to teach us false doctrine. All we have to do is to take that book and eat it and follow Christ. Value Christ. Value the book. I have a few minutes. I have two applications I want to tell you about. There are two things that I see in this vision. Christ and the book. It is that easy, isn't it? The angel himself. We can see that Christ, that we, we have looked at what he looked like. But in this application, I want you to see the setting alone. The setting alone. When he came down, he put his foot on the right, on the land, and his left on the, uh, I mean, right on the sea, and his left on the land. What we see here is a picture of sovereignty. The Greeks had, a, had an image for their gods, and they, they called one uh, Atlas. He had like the, the world on his back. You know, you've seen the picture of Atlas, right? He's kind of humped over, and he's got this big world on his back. Seems like it's a pretty strong guy, right? Look, the images that man can conjure about power, they are nothing but dust on the scale when it comes to the sovereignty of God and the sovereignty of our Lord Jesus Christ. These things are not depicted on his back. They are beneath his feet. He comes and rules. We need to see our Christ as the one who is in control of this world. It doesn't matter what the world says. It doesn't matter what they see in, before our eyes. It may look like everything is in chaos, but God has brooded over the chaos and made all these things very good. He created the heavens and the earth by the power of his word. Christ is sovereign and we can depend on him. This is the setting of this vision. He is over the land and sea. He has power and authority to rule. In the next apocalyptic vision, we will consider another kind of pause, another interlude. And it has to do with a great beast that comes out of the land, a great beast that comes out of the sea. Do not fret about that. Because you see, when we get there, we will learn this. They will be given authority to defeat the saints. Now that may scare you, but do not be afraid. Our Lord is sovereign, and he has already shown us the means of grace to overcome. We can see the action of our Christ in this vision by what he says. Now listen, we can see the action of our Christ by what he says. The word of God is powerful. He thundered. He swore. He commanded. He commissioned. That's what happens in this vision. Christ thunders the mystery of the gospel from heaven. He swears that there is going to be no more delay of the spreading of the gospel throughout the world. And he commands his word to be completely consumed by his people. And he commissions the gospel to be preached to every person. Now the second application, the book itself. 
What kind of imagery do we have here? Do we have to say it again? Is it not easy? We eat the book. We learn it. We love it. We obey it. It is our gift from God. It is not difficult to understand. But remember this. The gospel is sweet in our mouth, but it will be bitter in our bellies. We must understand that God will providentially allow Satan to war against the saints. And trust me, this is no pretend war. This is going to be a very real war with very real suffering. But we must come to grips with the fact that God only gives us the means to endure that we may endure. He doesn't give us the strength to not give us the trials. That would be giving us grace in vain. He gives us the promises to hold because we are going to have a battle. We are going to have a great fight with the, with the devil, with the flesh, with the world. It is coming. And for many of you, it has hit you head and shoulders. It has pummeled you. But you know what? I know that the grace of God will enable you to endure unto the end. Do not just say, I'm going to squeak through. You need to make your decisions with purpose. Follow Christ with the heart. Do what is right. Follow holiness. Follow after Christ. We need to love the scriptures. We need to learn it, keep it, honor it, and obey it. The word of God is the only way we can know Christ and how to love him. Let me read one more time our goal. The Christian's spiritual growth will be greatly increased when they are actively pursuing a greater love for Christ and his word. I challenge you now, increase your study, increase your prayer, increase your knowledge of the word of God so that you can do what? Increase your love of him, know him, let Christ be formed in you by the knowledge of this word. Take the little book and eat it. The angel stands there with his foot on land and sea, all under him. Take the book and eat it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we now ask that you would be with your people once again, encouraging us, providing to us the bread of heaven, your own life, your own soul. You have died for our sins, and may this word live richly within our souls. We ask that the word of God have free reign among your people. We pray that you would speak life to those who are spiritually dead. We ask that you would take your people and encourage them and build them up. Enable them, Father, to walk holy in holiness before you. We pray this for all of your churches throughout the world, especially in Titusville. Give us this grace, we pray in the Lord's name. Amen.